You're listening to Banter with the Boys. Talking all things sports. From betting and brawls, Super Bowl to Stanley Cup Finals. Get laced up. It's time for Banter with the Boys. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Banner with the Boys. Today, we're going to throw a different kind of episode at you, and we're going to start our inaugural episode of Fast Laps with the Boys. We're going to be talking some F1 today. The season just kicked off. We're going to do a little recap of last year's season, a little recap of what we saw last week, and then what we should expect going forward in the season. But first, let's get everybody in here. We have two familiar faces with us and then one newbie joining us today. We'll start today with the familiar faces. First, we have Nick. First episode of Fast Laps. How are we doing today, sir? Oh, we are just ready to go off all Ricky Bobby on everybody today. I'm feeling great, and I'm ready for this uh, episode. I love to hear it. Next, my first episode with you, sir, Mr. Smeltzy. How you feeling about this F1 season so far, boss? So far, the season's off to an interesting start, to say the least. Uh, we'll just see how things progress from here. Nick, I did want to say that the Ricky Bobby is actually a NASCAR driver. So I just wanted to go ahead and clarify that this is F1. Uh, this is Premier here. I believe if, if you ain't first, your last is translated in every single language. And last but certainly not least, we have Cole. First time on the pod, sir. How are you feeling? Great. I've been playing the game online, playing some F122, watching the series straight through, just ready to kick it off this year. The first race was a great one. Ready to keep it going. I love to hear it, man. I'm happy to be here with you all. And last but certainly not least, we have to introduce Kevin on the ones and twos. We wouldn't be here without you, boss. We really do appreciate it. Let's get this thing started, fellas. First, we're going to kind of talk about last year's 2022 season. It was an absolute domination by one team and one driver, but let's get into the nitty-gritty. Smeltzy, what was your biggest takeaway of last year? So here's the deal. Uh, I mean, obviously, we know Verstappen ran away with it, absolutely, uh, with Checo close behind. However, they did not finish 1-2. and two. And if you believe it or not, Red Bull has actually never had a 1-2 finish ever, which is crazy to think when Vettel was there. That they just, they never had a one two finish in the drivers championship at the end of the year. That's just, that's just insane for me to believe. They could have done that for the first time last season. However, Verstappen was asked in the second to last race to have uh, to let Checo by, into which he pretty much didn't answer until it was too late, and he said, "Oh, you know why? Does anybody know why or what maybe Verstappen is referring to there?" Any guesses from anyone? So my guess would be, is it because they set he set the record for most amount of wins? So actually, Nick, that is not the case. Uh, earlier in the season, they had a race at Monaco. Monaco, if you don't know, since you're kind of newer to it, there's not a lot of passing room there. Qualifying is very, very important. Uh, Checo was running third at the time, and Verstappen was also out doing a qualifying lap. Uh, Verstappen was finishing up his last qualifying lap and now to nowhere Checo hit a corner that he's been hitting for a lot of his career and hit and hit the wall which red flagged the qualifying and ended it that was it so therefore they start the race Checo at third Verstappen at fourth 
it was a big deal because Checo still absolutely was involved in the championship race at that point. So it was kind of a it was kind of a big deal. And actually right before coming on today, I was actually just watching video of onboard video between Checo and other drivers hitting that same corner. And you can hear a little bit of a little higher end of of his revs there. Like he, he hits the corner awkwardly compared to what he was doing all day and other drivers. I'm not saying anything, but that is why that's what everybody's speculating why Verstappen did not let Checo pass to finish one, two. They're saying he was kind of making a statement with that. Yeah. The one interesting part about Monaco as well is it was wet, you know, it was raining. The course was just kind of all over the place and Checo hit that corner and then Sainz actually came in and, and nudged him a little bit, and that's what blocked it completely. And Verstappen was on a burner. You know, he more than likely was going to take that pole position. But at the end of the day, this is just Max being Max. He is a drama queen. We all know that going into it. Arguably could go down as the greatest driver of all time when it's all said and done. Obviously a lot left to play to see if that comes into play here. He needs five more to even catch Lewis to even be considered in that conversation. But I definitely think that was a sign of, of Red Bull, for one, committing to Max as the number one driver, although that was already established, but Max just being as power-hungry as he is and wanting to get every win that he possibly can. I just don't think that's a team player, and for somebody of, of Verstappen's stature, don't think that was the right move on his part, especially when you can get that one, too. Do you believe that Team Principal Horner knew uh, that Checo may or may not have crashed on purpose. Apparently they had a conversation. I don't know if it's true or not, whatever. And then Verstappen knew that Horner knew. So it's a lot of he said, he, he said, she said, right? You know what I mean? Do you believe that this this was the case or just totally it was wet, it is what it is? I think a lot of it has to come down to, with it being Monaco and the rough start that Checo had, even if it was the case, I mean, at the end of the day, it started off, a great rest of the season for Checo. So it kind of kicks things off. So if you're Horner, you can't be upset. Can't be upset at that call. Yeah, I don't know about the whole he said, she said. That's the first I've heard of that. You would like to think that as much as Horner's invested in Verstappen at this point, that he wouldn't do anything to try to even put a damper on that relationship or just hinder it at all. Um, so, yeah, that's the first I've heard of that. That's interesting. But I just I don't think that like Hander, Verstappen's Horner's boy. You know, he's, he's more than committed to him, so I just don't think they would do anything to tarnish that relationship. Speaking of Ferrari's relationships, you got to talk about the president leaving at the end of the year after a rough season. I mean, they start the year strong. 1-2 in Bahrain, 2-3 then in Saudi, then race 4. You know, we get a DNF from Sainz, Leclerc P6 with Sainz starting grid 4 and Leclerc grid 2. Then back in Miami, we go back to a 2-3. Then in Spain, Leclerc DNF, Science P4 when Claire had pole. This is where the whole tarnish just keeps going downhill. Week 8, Azerbaijan, both racers DNF when Leclerc had pole and Science started grid 4. Then we keep going on the rest of the season. They're remaining 14 races, 4 DNFs total for the team, 2 starting from grid 3 and 2 from pole. This has got to take big account on the season for Ferrari, and it might have been a lot closer of a race. That collapse was just unreal. I, I just going back and looking at all the drama that went down in the good old Netflix series, and just looking at the stats, it it was collapse after collapse. I kind of am wondering, as a kind of beginner in F one, where do you think it all kind of started to 
tumble roll. Because, yeah, that first mistake in race three with the DNF from Signs, it just seemed like it started to tumble roll. But I feel like where the the end result of Ferrari uh, Ferrari's operator getting uh, cut to me was when they had both one two with Ferrari and decided to just pit and then there was a miscommunication to signs to go and pit and it was just a pure just lapse in ju- judgment on them to me that's when it just started to just tank hard I don't know what you guys think about that definitely early in the season you're gonna get dnfs every race team usually gets them when you deal with you know double pitting that was obviously a big point of the netflix show but i think what really hurt them is late in the season getting the amount of dnfs they did as well as some other struggles with the president that's a phenomenal point right there it really just explains so much as to why this budget change is very, very crucial in the F1 sport series that just came back, what was that, 2021 is when they brought in the budget? 2022. All I know is you can just tell that all those DNFs, everything, it, it just was a major collapse from Ferrari, so great points. Yeah, there's no reason Ferrari shouldn't have been competing with Red Bull for the constructors last year. Verstappen had the drivers in the chin in the bag, but Leclerc and, and Science both could have competed with Perez for that that second spot there to kind of have to outweigh Verstappen a little bit. But those DNFs were just brutal for him. Ferrari just can't seem to get it figured out. They have the talent, the drivers are there. For whatever reason, they just can't seem to get these engines figured out. Even with the quote-unquote bad season I mean it, w- it wasn't as great as they wished it would have been but can we say they're trending in the right direction because 2020 they finished sixth in constructors 2021 they improved to third obviously that was a big battle between Red Bull and Mercedes and now they finished second I mean Red Bull absolutely destroyed everybody but what else you got Yeah, I mean, to say they're trending up, though, it's like for them to have those down years as Ferrari, they're Ferrari at the end of the day. There shouldn't be any such thing as a down year. So even a down year being third, fourth, for them to just blow it in their engine, that's what Ferrari is. Their engines are their engines. That's what's made them great over the years of F1, and their engine just consistently let them down. They have the talent in place. Their engines are just failing and failing and failing right now, and you know, you start the year off this year, Leclerc had second in the bag and engine failure, which we'll get to later. But, you know, it's, it's are, they, are they trending upward or are they trending where exactly they should be? That's kind of the question. I mean, if you look at Ferrari, their track is a Monza. It's a fast track, to back Tyler's point there. The bigger thing, too, would have to be that was it, you know, Ferrari going up or was it Mercedes going down, Right. I mean, it's just Mercedes had a horrible year last year, especially with the start. So it has to be looked at from both sides there. Well, let's see if Ferrari can finally get it figured out this year, take that last corner of the turn with their engines, and turn this season around. We all want to see that red car doing well, and we just hate to see Ferrari's engines the thing that fails them. But next I want to talk about a little bit of people leaving last year. So first we had Fernando Alonso leaving Alpine. Nobody would have expected that after last year. They were in a fight for the Constructors' Championship for fourth place. They ended up edging out McLaren in that spot, but Alonso decided to leave and enter Team Aston Martin. Nobody would have expected that after Alpine's second with Alonso's second run with Renault. It just wasn't expected. On top of that, 
They lost their junior driver in Oscar Piastri. We all thought he was going to just take that spot into Alpine, and then that all transpired, and he went to McLaren. So Alpine was just last minute, we need to get somebody. But Alonso finished ninth in the, the Drivers' Championship last year. Not his best finish, obviously, but certainly not his worst, especially in the car given. For him to just get up and leave and go to really an unproven commodity in Aston Martin. Now, granted, at 42 years old, money certainly does talk, and he's probably chasing that bag at this point. And after Bahrain, we're, who's to say that wasn't the good move? Um, but what are you guys' thoughts on Alonso leaving Alpine? That was big news last year. Yeah, Alonzo, to me, is the bad boy of F1. He is somebody who is willing to take bets in different areas that most people wouldn't see. So going back from his career, going to 2019 when he left McLaren to go to Alpine, I, that was a, a pretty big move back then. Made a whole bunch of headlines. He did it on a whim before the season was even over. So that's really what started a whole bunch of seat changes from team to team. Speaking of doing something on the whim, I mean, how random is going to Aston Martin? Like, that that does seem weird to me uh, for somebody like Alonzo. And when he's asked about it, it is kind of weird. He's just like, yeah, it was just a bet. Like, that, that's it. Like, he's just like, yeah, you know, I kind of just went for it, you know, for sure. So he got paid. Tyler's over here doing the money sign. Absolutely. He definitely got paid on that. Uh, Cole, you got anything else on that? On Alonzo? Yeah, I mean, I think a big thing. I mean, you got Lawrence Stroll as a, the owner there buying everything. And with Lawrence Stroll, it's just a lot of money. And it also, he's a great businessman. He's going to convince anybody. He convinces tens or twos so he can sleep with them. He's a great guy there. He's going to convince anybody to come over. You give him another two years, you're going to get Max Verstappen in that car. Does Max Verstappen get tens and twos as well? Max is married, so I'm not sure, but... I mean, you can call her a two. Looks like a nine to me. With all that money, I don't think that marriage really plays. He's probably getting anything from one to nine, brother. Tiger Woods, anyone? So we'll see how Alonzo does in the Aston Martin. Started off pretty good. We'll get to that a little bit later. But the biggest move that was made last year was one of the greatest drivers of all time, Sebastian Vettel, hanging up his gloves. What a career this man has had. To put that in perspective, this man is a four-time driver champion. He has the third most victories and third most podiums of all time, and he has the fourth most pole positions won. What a career this guy has had. I wish, him, I wish he would have had a little bit more success with Aston Martin after leaving Ferrari, but at the end of the day, it was his choice to leave Ferrari, and he just wasn't at the level of the car that needed he needed to be able to compete with the the Red Bulls, the Mercedes, and even that Ferrari. But we just have to applaud this man's career. I've only been into F1 a little bit, but just his personality, even when he's talking in press with the most prestigious brand out there, Ferrari, where he normally wouldn't be able to say anything that final year if you watch Drive to Survive. He was a lot more loose with even Leclerc next to him, saying how Leclerc couldn't have his clothing line because of the Puma sponsorship with Ferrari. Like, that stuff doesn't get said when you're on Team Ferrari, and his ability just to say kind of, fuck it, I'm Sebastian Vettel, I'll do what I want, is just something I commend. And uh, it's really going to be a shame not seeing him on the grid this year and going forward. But do we think he's gone for good? Couldn't he be back next year, maybe? I don't think he's hanging up the gloves. I think he might be back for another season. What do you think? No way. I, I think Vettel's done for good. Like, I'm looking at it right now. He's worth $140 million, which might 
be enough to buy my fossil watch off my wrist right now. Sebastian Vettel, if you're listening, I'll take a million, brother. Please, please, just a million. But anyway, back on track. Uh, I mean, the dude's made his money. He's won his championships. That's it, man. I, th- I think he's done. Time to hang it up. Time to enjoy the rest of your life, even though this is probably the number one thing he loves doing the most. I mean, I can't believe how hard it would be to leave after being so dominant. I just think with the sport slowly turning towards younger and younger talent, I just think he sees that it's time to go out on top. And exactly like he said, he got just enough money to buy that fossil watch. So, um, yeah, uh, skeleton face, 100% worth it. But for Vettel, I mean, you got to think of the dominance in Red Bull, right? He hasn't had that with Ferrari. didn't win the Players' Championship. He's not continuing that. He's staying there for a reason. It's not just the money. Maybe Aston Martin for the money, but you can definitely see him coming back to a more competitive team to try to get another championship. I don't know. I don't think uh, one of the the top three teams that can really put a championship car together would even go after Vettel at this point. They all have young, outside of Hamilton and Checo, they all have young guns at the helm that I just don't think they would give up on to give that seat back to Vettel at this point in his career. And he's already said he wants to make a commitment to be a part of his kids' lives. They're in that age where they're growing, and he's not going to be able to get that time back, especially with how long and strenuous the F1 season is. Where I would love to see him back in a competitive car. I would hate to see him come back in a Williams or Alfa Romeo and just to do it just because he loves the race. If I want to see Sebastian Vettel, I want to see him competing. And I just don't think, think these top three teams that really have a chance would go out and get someone like that when they have their young guns or established guns already in place. Well, I think it's safe to say we would all love to see Vettel at the top of the grid again, but we're going to have to wait on that for the foreseeable future. But let's get back over to some 2022 recapping. And let's be honest, the story of the season was the absolute domination by Max Verstappen. Nick, why don't you get a little bit more in-depth on how Verstappen truly did just run away with last year? Well, before I get into the big Max attack... I like to bring it back to Vettel, as we were just talked, who was the previous record holder of 13 total wins. Max Verstappen decided to come in and blow that number out of the water with 15 races won, setting the record, setting the bar, showing F1 what young talent is all about. And just to really break down how unbelievable of a of a career year that was for him he he finished a total of 17 podiums and 15 of those were wins so that just kind of speaks as to how much of a winning mindset this man has and how he's just able to take this dominance and just run all over the track with it uh, there really wasn't anybody close to him. Every time he won, it was just pure dominance. So there is nothing else to say about Max's performance, in my opinion. Anybody else got anything to add to that? Biggest thing, too. I mean, I like a lot of people, we have love-hate relationships with Max, right? He's, you know, all over the place. Some people love him. Some people hate him. But on top of the, the new record with all the wins this year, he also has the youngest ever win being a driver which is huge. I mean, he, he, you know, Tyler said it before, but he could go down as the best racer ever. Hopefully he doesn't, but it's a huge possibility. Yeah, that's an amazing point. I, I, I completely forgot about that one. I mean, it just speaks to the young talent of Max Verstappen. So with Max, I mean, he's got two in a row, right, right now. 
Sebastian Vettel had four in a row. Lewis Hamilton had six in seven years with four in a row. Is Max going to get four in a row? Max with two straight. I mean, we have to put an asterisk by that. I'm sure a lot of us saw that F1 drive to survive. Did he really win the first one? Or did Lewis, you know, kind of get screwed over there? Well, that's that's tough because, like, I, I we were just talking about this off mic, but I joined into F1 during Lewis's dominance. So it I was kind of, like, hoping Lewis would lose, right? And then Max won kind of awkwardly, and then he absolutely dominated the next year. Now I'm kind of already at the point where I was like, it'd be cool to see Lewis drive really well and win another one low-key <laughs> after I was like kind of hating on him. But he is an amazing driver. Yeah, and the thing about that asterisk nest to that 2021 season is by the record of the rule book, Verstappen should have been granted that spot he got. What the controversy was, it was the eight cars behind Lewis and in front of between Verstappen and not the cars behind Verstappen that got that pass. So that's where the controversy lied. So if you look at the technicalities of the rule book, the rules were followed to get Verstappen in his spot. It just was everything behind him was the wild speculation. And I mean, the guy lost his job because of it. So obviously it had some effects. But yeah, the crazy thing about Max Verstappen is this cat's 25 years old. You know, he's like starting right now if you were to take his career starting this year, whereas drivers start entering their prime. And he's already won two championships from his 23-24 season, age-wise that is, obviously. And now he's just going to take it and run with Red Bull's car that they have projected here going forward. I mean, unbelievable performance, but... I think that exactly as you just put, for him to be so young, I I feel like this sport is trending that way. I mean, one of the biggest things that I think that makes a driver unbelievably good right now is no fear, nothing to think about to lose. And that tends to be a very trending thing with younger people, in my opinion. So I feel like there's a difference between... Alonzo, who's got his paper, got his money, I don't think he's going to be pushing it to that next level compared to Max, Max's dominance of just being able to stay sheer focus and full-on full speed. Yeah, I would disagree with you there because to, to compete at the level of F1, you have no fear to get to that level. So to say that Verstappen has less fear than, say, somebody like Alonzo, I don't know if I could get behind just because of the level that you're at. I mean, you're taking turns at, well, not necessarily turns, but you're going 175 mile per hour plus in Monaco, which if we've all played any sort of video game, Monaco is an impossible race to even qualify in, let alone compete in. So it's, I don't know if I could get behind the, the, the more lack of fear for the younger generation when Alonzo's had that lack of fear for 20-plus years now racing. And then we look at, you know, obviously we're talking about Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen. We have to start looking at Charles Leclerc. He is a racer who's proven to beat Max. With a good car, he arguably is a better racer. So we have to see how that unfolds going forward. That is certainly a hot take, saying he's arguably a better racer than Verstappen. I mean, obviously the car plays a part in that, don't get me wrong, but I don't think you can say anything over anybody being better than Verstappen with the last two years. He's just put on an absolute show. You're right. I I definitely argued better. That might have been the wrong terminology. I think he has a better trajectory. I think that is a racer we will see here in the next coming years who might even overshadow Max Verstappen. 
like in the past we see all the time. Yeah, I could definitely get behind that. You know, he's young too. He's the same age as Max. They grew up playing, or not playing, but driving against each other in the junior cards and whatnot. I think Charles is definitely the one that's going to give Max the most run for his money in the next coming years. Maybe George Russell could enter that conversation if Mercedes can get their car figured out. But right now, I definitely think the sport's in good hands with Leclerc and Verstappen being the faces of it. I mean, obviously, you still have Hamilton. He's not going anywhere for at least, well, it depends on what room you're listening to, but at least two years. But yeah, I mean, the Ver- Leclerc and Verstappen going forward is going to be real fun to watch. Is Leclerc going to do it at Ferrari, though, or will he have to go somewhere else to do it? I don't know who. Like, obviously, if it's just the big three, then Mercedes would be the only one, only on the other one. And I do not see that happening. But does he do it at Ferrari then? I mean, his contract's up in 2024. That's an interesting take because if you think of what gives him the best opportunity to win a world championship, the easy answer is to go to Red Bull and partner with Verstappen. But you go to Red Bull and partner with Verstappen, you're never going to win a championship because Verstappen will always be the number one driver. The point with Mercedes makes a lot of sense. If they can get the car figured out and when Lewis does hang him up, Leclerc could go into that one spot, assuming Russell would be okay with taking the two spot. Again, I'm sure that was a part of their agreements or their contracts that when Hamilton hangs them up, Russell's going to go into that number one spot. But I I don't know. I mean, it'd just be interesting because he is the number one driver for Ferrari right now, which up until 10 years ago, which is a long time in F1, was the most coveted spot in Formula One. You even look at Seb Vettel leaving Red Bull after four championships to go drive for that number one car in Ferrari like that says huge things about Ferrari but you're right I mean the performance has to be there for him to stay with Charles too I mean that that's his dream team that's where he wants to be that was his pinnacle right so he also signed the longest deal with Ferrari in history this is all big news and it you know it, it's hard for him to leave after all of that and with everything behind him, I think he trusts Ferrari and he's going to be there for the long term. Yeah, I agree. Good old-fashioned Netflix documentary. It was his godfather that that passed away, was that correct? That uh, originally got him kind of going towards Ferrari to begin with, right? I don't know if it was his godfather as much as just his mentor. According to it, it was his his godfather. So it, it, it has very much sentimental value. So I think that's some big points of that. I mean, he really was just targeting Ferrari since he was 16. Well, the 2022 season is behind us, and we are ready and looking forward to 2023. Two weekends ago, we did have our first race of the F1 season. In Bahrain, we had, as many expected, Max Verstappen did win that race. But personally, I wanted to talk about Aston Martin's dominance. For them to finish... With Alonso climbing up to the pole, hitting that three spot, and Lance Stroll climbing in at number six, just two weeks after that man broke his wrist is just a remarkable feat in itself. But for Aston Martin to have this showing in the first race, I don't think anybody would have expected it. If you did, you're just a flat-out liar. Now, with that, their aerodynamics team is basically Red Bull's team. Checo was even joking that it was nice to, to see three Red Bulls on the podium. A lot of people are terming this Aston Martin car the green Red Bull. But even still, you know, if you can get the valuable insight on what these teams are doing to compete and excel, why wouldn't you go and get that and try to do it yourself? This is a copycat type of race league. So if the winners are winning, why would you just sit there and just try to keep improving on what's just holding you back at the end of the day 
So for Fernando to get a podium was just great to see for him as a whole. I would say that he got more recognition and more praise after this race than even Red Bull did with Verstappen and Perez going 1-2. Everybody loves seeing Fernando up there. And personally, I think Stroll stole the show with that kind of performance after having a fractured wrist and he broke his toe. Just crazy, in my opinion, what they were able to do, and I'm really excited to see what the future holds for them this year. Especially with the bump we see early on between Alonzo and Stroll. Stroll bumping into the back of Alonzo. A lot of people thought that that might be the end for them for that race. Do you think that Aston can jump above Mercedes, at least in the constructors by the end of the season? I'm not, I don't think they'll bump Ferrari. I think Ferrari will figure it out. Obviously, it's way too early to tell right now, but we might as well ask the question. Like, do you think they'll they can compete and maybe surpass Mercedes at least this season, or is Mercedes going to get it together too? I think it's certainly possible with the amount of money that Lawrence Stroll is pouring into this team, and like I said, just poaching a bunch of Red Bull's talent with Mercedes. They figured it out at the last quarter of the season last year, but they can't wait that long this year to figure it out for them to actually have a good showing this year. And the likes of the Aston Martins are just, they're here to play this year. They showed it week one. And I just, I don't know. That's a tough question. Because at the end of the day, you have Lewis Hamilton driving that Mercedes. So he makes up some of the gap of the cars difference. But I don't know if George Russell can. Also, we have, with this car, the Aston Martin, we have the same engine as the Mercedes. But Aston Martin has just been able to show it off more. They've been able to get the most out of that engine. One of the biggest things that I feel made the difference in Red Bull's dominance in this race and it shows in their previous 2022 series they did a lot of significant changes to the car that a lot of other uh, cars didn't have they threw in a different suspension system different springs they threw in a different push and pull system to create a little bit more room for the front end they did a lot of different things in 2022 and it showed so the fact that Aston Martin kind of took a little bit of pages out of the Red Bull, it's showing. Showing in numerous ways by just having the same aerodynamics engineer going from McLaren to Red Bull and then down to Aston Martin and just showing podiums and just sheer differential between everybody in the pack. So... The fact that they were able to do that, it just shows in the dominance left and right. So it shows in many ways, as we've already discussed, which kind of brings me into my topic. Red Bull's dominance in this race, it was just sheer unbelievable. For Verstappen to win by 38 seconds over Alonso alone, that just is remarkable. To win by almost 40 seconds in F1, that is just, to me, unheard of as a newcomer. Perez even took second place and was still another 27 seconds ahead of Alonso. So for them to be able to just go 1-2 and finishing with such a dominant uh, time elapse, that is an unbelievable performance by Red Bull. It should carry on. I don't see how they can mess it up. Obviously, there's a very long season ahead of us, but the way they're starting, it's looking a lot like 2022 when it's all said and done. And even more so, there's a lot of people saying that Red Bull even had more in their tank, that they even could have gained their second a lap. We're talking over a minute gap on third place. 
Yeah, that's just insane to think that they have more in the tank after the showing they had. But it wasn't even a question, I think, that Verstappen was going to win. We'll focus a little bit later. We'll talk about how the second place maybe shouldn't have gone to Perez. But there's there's no questioning how good of a car Red Bull has this year. And with the best driver in the world currently behind the wheel of that car, this was just crazy to think that Verstappen won a race by over 35 seconds to the next closest non-Red Bull team. That's just insane to think about. And not to mention... Two years later, you're, we're seeing what Red Bull is going to have to deal with for those budget issues. This is the year where they have significantly reduced wind tunnel time. And then to be able to show up with that type of showing, even with this type of a punishment, I mean, unreal. You even have George Russell coming in and saying that Red Bull could win every race this year. This is a Mercedes driver, not even betting on his own team. That truly says something right there. You have a, a team that over the last 10 years has been the most dominant team. Their second driver, who they just signed two years ago, was coming out saying that, hey, I really am not going to be able to compete this year. Like, you'd hate to see that as a Mercedes fan or a Mercedes team member, but that just goes to show the dominance of what Red Bull has done to make this car as good as it, it truly is. Even with Ferrari, who knows how this race would end up. We have, you know... In the qualifying, Leclerc doesn't do another lap. Possibly could have got pulled. That could have threw off everything for Red Bull. And then you have Leclerc in P2 in front of Checo doing a heck of a race, not even finishing because of engine failure. Is this going to be another repeat for Ferrari? This has to be looked at too because Ferrari could still be competing if they can keep this car healthy. Yeah, and before the race even started, things were already not looking good for, for Leclerc. Apparently... Some of his uh, electronics and energy store components were already going bad before the race. So they, uh, judging by data, they were getting from the power unit. So they had to mess with that right away. And his official DNF was caused by an energy store and control unit failure. So you only get two energy store units in a season. So he could get a grid penalty here coming up soon, maybe as soon as the next race in Saudi Arabia. But we'll see. Yeah, it's interesting to note on the uh, the regulations on how many like components and power units you can use because using one of your two available a week into the year, you know, you're hoping to at least get a half a year out of that, depending on what tweaks you have to make. But that's uh, it's crazy to think about that. Even in the first outlap of qualifying for Leclerc, no damage, or I'm sorry, no contact, no nothing, his car started falling apart. We have yet to know what that piece was that came off. They're kind of keeping it hush-hush. But that even just in his first outlap, he's just driving and his car is falling apart. That's just signs to show that Ferrari can't get it right. Their principle essentially doesn't matter because they can't fix their damn car. And for Ferrari, like, you know, it's got to just be embarrassing at this point. I mean, arguably, that failure may have cost them a podium may have cost them at least some points for sure absolutely some points it cost them i mean it's a big deal to start your season that way yeah i would say it most certainly did cost him some points you know leclerc was in second pretty handedly it wasn't really a fight for third at that point he had the race in the bag for a second i mean he was still eons beyond verstappen but yeah i mean those points are crucial even if it is so early in the year you can make them up 
but you can't bank on Red Bull having one, two, three DNFs this year. You just can't bank on that where you have to expect Ferrari's car to fall apart at least three to five more times this year, you know? Yeah, I mean, especially in the fact that, that they finished 200 points behind Red Bull in the Constructor Cup and the Constructor standings, that uh, that DNF is something that they have to approach ASAP if they want to be able to even compete for number two spot this year. A hundred percent. I totally agree. Another like failure, I would say, from the first week, first race of the season here would be absolutely McLaren. So you had Piastri, who started 18th and worked his way all the way up to 8th. I mean, he was actually having a somewhat decent run, ended up having an electrical issue. He boxed, they tried the different steering wheel, it just wasn't working out. Allegedly, maybe it's further down, an electrical issue further down the steering column, it just wasn't going to be a quick fix. His car was retired. Lando essentially as soon as the race started had a pneumatic pressure leak almost immediately which does affect his shifting it doesn't affect his speed though so he was still able to like he was running 18 17 16 kind of in there but about every 10 laps he had to start coming in to box and not to cut you off but i mean a normal box just for tires only takes a couple seconds when they're repressurizing the system that's going to even add more time that adds you know when he's down in 17th 18th like you're saying it's not going to help his case to fight back up into points. And so needless to say, their new MCL 60 car is just not quite right yet. So we'll just have to see what happens going forward. A team that did actually perform, I'd say, better than expectations would be Williams. I mean, before the race, Alex Albon was kind of nervous. You know, he was kind of worried that they would not perform at all. And he's leaving the race saying that they're the second best team as far as being the most improved team. But that's something for Williams, absolutely, going forward. With rookie Logan Sargent finishing 12th, I mean, that's you can't ask for much more in your first race. Yeah, I would wholeheartedly agree with you. In my opinion, Williams was the most impressive in this weekend. You can make a strong argument for Aston Martin, but at the end of the day, with all the money Strolls put into the team, they have two pretty damn good drivers. You know, Say what you want about Lance Stroll and his dad's money is where he's at. That cat can drive. At the end of the day, he hasn't had a car worth performing. So for him to get that six in this this race means a lot to me. But for overall, for Williams to finish 10-12 and that 12th being a rookie, when exactly like you said, Smelty, Alex Albon's going into this race saying that that car can't compete. Not that it won't compete, it can't compete. That says a lot for him to be able to climb up into P10, get some points on the board for Williams. We all know Williams has had a lot of down years you can say in the past and to me it was really heartwarming to see Williams produce what they did and just showing that Williams might be a team that could you know make a push for the bottom of the midfield this year can I see him getting 5-4 I don't know I would have to see more than Bahrain for that and see what developments and upgrades they can have throughout the year with how little money they have but I was very very impressed with Alex Albon and Logan Sargent going into this or after this race and with Williams I mean obviously we have to look at them they were just amazing the first race. And it wasn't like they were, you know, a huge wreck on the first turn where they're just passing people. They raced solid the whole race. And I think also, I mean, we talked about the Alonzo and his race and obviously getting driver of the day. I think a hard second for driver of the day has to be Gasly. Fighting back up in a new car and still showing he can do it. We can't overshadow him in this race. He's just been, he was amazing from the start, fighting in the last couple laps. 
Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly right there. If Alonzo didn't get a podium and Alonzo wasn't who Alonzo is, Gasly's the driver of the day without question. To go from 20th to start up into points, and not even to points, but to 9th, granted not a huge difference between 9 and 10, but still, for him to move up 11 positions in a race where there really isn't a bunch of opportunity for overtaking, that is madly impressive. Especially being in a new car this year, going into that Alpine team. On top of that, he was fighting off one of his best friends on the grid in Yuki, who was his teammate the last couple of years at AlphaTauri. You know, he was able to fight off Yuki, get in front of Albon, and finish P9. That is just crazy impressive. We all know Alpine has one of the best midfield cars out there. Now, they didn't have the best showing with Ocon getting 4,700 time penalties. That man was just a magnet for time penalties. Just insane. But nonetheless, I mean, Gashley truly showed his colors this race, moving up 11 spots, getting in the top 10, finishing with points, and getting Alpine on the board this year. I was madly impressed with Gasly. And we also got to talk with Gasly. I mean, when he goes to the Red Bull, he goes out of the AlphaTauri, he struggles. He went back to AlphaTauri again. He just excels. Now he goes to a different card, and he's actually excelling. There's got to be something to say there. I mean, maybe it just wasn't the fit for him. He deserves to be on the grid. He, he's very underrated. Keep, keep an eye out for him all season long, and I think he's worth mentioning later in this episode. But, I mean, watch out for him the rest of the season, absolutely. Yeah, most definitely. Gasly's one to be on the lookout this year. That Alpine I don't see is going to finish like they did this, this week is 9 and DNF. So, I mean, I could see Alpine making a push for that that 3-4 spot with the drivers they have. They have some talent. That is most definitely for sure. Well, Bahrain is behind us, boys. Let's get into this next week's race. We have Jeddah taking place in Saudi Arabia. Last year, Verstappen, of course, took the win with Ferrari getting 2-3. But let's get in the meat and potatoes of this race here, Cole. What are you looking forward to this race? What do you have your eye on? I mean, the big thing has to be Ferrari. Can they turn back? Can they keep doing what they did last year? Even last race, arguably, they could have pulled. And we know Jetta being a tight course, pull could, you know, help them win. It could really get them back up top and keep the movement going. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how Ferrari performs this year. They, they did really well last year. Two podiums last year. Can they get the car fixed? That's the issue. Leclerc's going to be there. Cyan's should be there. But the question is, can they get that car put together for this week? Yeah, Carlos ran fine last week, honestly. I, I don't know if he really had any issues at all. Uh, finished fourth and just, I think we'll expect another, at least points from Carlos and hopefully Leclerc this week as well. Um, I think they will make some changes. I mean, you can't roll over after a DNF in week one. I mean, you have to do something. So you got to come out and attack this week for sure, 100%. Yeah, the one downside I would say to Cyan's last week is after Alonzo passed him, his team was asking him to push more, and he simply, on the radio, sounded absolutely defeated and said the car didn't have anything else into it. If he would push more, then they would cost him the race. So that just doesn't make you feel good about the performance of the Ferrari, but lets you know that they the, the, the car's there, the talent's there. Can they just put it all together consistently? And speaking on that, I mean, let's look who passed them. Aston Martin. Coming through last week had a solid week, right? We look into this week, we have a more healthy stroll. Can they get better grid spots? And can they make this a bigger race for them? Can they try to get a pole maybe and get a win? Be huge for Aston Martin. No no hate on stroll, but I will say I feel that Lewis and George Russell both finish in front of stroll this week. 
just kind of a gut feeling. I'll get into Lewis in a little bit, but I just think uh, George will also pass Stroll up this week. Yeah, it really is going to be interesting to see how Stroll does this year. I mean, the car's there. There's no question about that. So is the talent behind the name, or is he in his spot because daddy's money? I don't personally believe so, but this year I think is going to be the best overall test for that. Yes, I mean, he's competing last week with coming off. Obviously, he talked about the injury. And if he can continue to do this, I mean, he's shown promise in other cars. If he gets a fast car, is he able to get podiums for the team? Is he able to get those big points the team needs to finish top three? That's just it. I was just going to touch on that, too. I think it is going to be on stroll to determine if they finish top three as a team and the constructors or not. It's kind of on stroll. I don't think we really have anything to worry about Alonzo. He looked so good last week. I I don't feel he's going to drop off yet. Um, I, I do think it's on stroll to, to determine if they can kind of get up there with Mercedes and Ferrari and attempt to challenge Red Bull, even though... I don't think anybody will challenge them. Yeah, I think the I think this is gonna be a big test for Ferrari because Jetta seems like a very faster paced uh, track, so it's gonna be very engine tested, very aerodynamic tested. I think we're gonna see the true grit and and decision making behind Ferrari and Austin Martin behind all their everything that has anything to do with their cars. So I think this is gonna be a very very good race to to have an idea of what we're gonna be semi looking at and even the joke about last week when alonzo passes science and just goes bye-bye he is confident this year he's going to keep showing this all year i think he hasn't been this confident in a car in a very long time and like you said i totally agree it's entirely on stroll's shoulders how this car finishes this year and the constructors it most definitely will be interesting to see if aston martin can keep it together and progress during the year to, to fight for that top three um, but what I'm really looking forward to this week is how is McLaren going to show? They were fighting for that fourth spot last year. They ended up with fifth. They came out this year and got a 19-20. Lando did not, was not able to compete at all during the race. Piastri got out real early, and this is after the whole fiasco last year with Piastri not going to Alpine, signing with McLaren. He had high expectations this year. McLaren as a whole had high expectations this year, especially after departing with Ricardo. That I mean, it was mutual. It wasn't that McLaren just gave up on him by any means. And, I mean, it's venture to say Ricardo's in a certainly a better spot as the Red Bull Reserve driver this year. But it, it just was not expected to see McLaren not show up like they did last week. And they're talking about these upgrades and talking about how they're going to be in place. We'll see. Lando's a top 10 driver. You can make a very strong argument for a top 5 driver talent. They just have to put a car behind him to see. And with this this new cat, Oster, Oscar Piastri, we'll see what this rookie can do. He's coveted. He was highly sought after. The proof's in his pudding. What does McLaren do this week? Yeah, McLaren right now, it's kind of like your ex-girlfriend. She's in your life, out of your life. She's all over the place, right? I mean, the last couple of years, it's just like, oh, we're going to have a good year. Uh, maybe not. You know, you just never know what we're going to get out of McLaren. So hopefully they can turn it around. Obviously, I wish they kept Ricardo, but hopefully this, these new young bucks can make something of it. And no, to your point, Tyler, I totally agree that Lando has got to be a top five skill driver. Uh, on the grid I mean he just needs a better car straight up McLaren just doesn't give it to him yet um, we'll see what they do this week but I'm honestly not holding my hopes too high because I feel like we've been hearing for the past three years 
that McLaren is going to do it this year, do something, maybe challenge to, I mean, at least be best of the rest, but challenge for that top, get into those top three teams. And they just haven't done it yet. And I just, I don't know. I feel bad for Lando. I wish he could get into a little better ride, maybe a dark horse for that Lewis Hamilton spot someday. I don't know, but we'll see. Yeah, it kind of seems like uh, you're just buying your ex-girlfriend a purse to solve your problems. You know, they've just done so many different changes, but yet same results, same results. How are we going to, how is this going to change? So I'm pretty interested to see if we're going to be dealing with the same McLaren or not. Um, But yeah, that's that's exactly uh, some points to listen to. So honestly, I kind of want to talk a little bit about a dark horse for this race. And it's weird to say that they're a dark horse, but Mercedes, more specifically Lewis Hamilton. There's people out here saying that Lewis Hamilton is never going to win another race, and I I just don't believe that at all. Um, Lewis's last win actually came at Jeddah, uh, which was the first year they ever ran this race, race, which was 2021, which it was the second to last race of the season. And also was Lewis's third win in a row at that point, shaping up for a showdown between him and Max in Abu Dhabi. And we all know what happened there. Then obviously 2022, Max took the race. However, the race was changed for the 2022 season and was, ended up being the second race on the schedule like it is this season. And for some reason, I just feel like Mercedes could possibly make a move this race. I mean, they'll definitely get some points, but... Could we see Lewis on the podium this week, or do you guys think that Alonso's just too overpowering right now in that, uh, in that Aston Martin? Another driver I just want to briefly mention is somebody we've already mentioned tonight, but Pierre Gasly. I mean, 2021, the first race ever of this race, he finished sixth place. The next year he finished eighth, and we all saw what he did last week from 20th. So I think we do need to watch out for Pierre Gasly to kind of also be a dark horse this race. He might just sneak up on you. Yeah, I never really heard uh, of that before with Pierre. I didn't know this was a pretty solid race for him, especially in the, the Alpha Torre, which is not the best car the last couple of seasons. But it could be huge. I mean, if he gets a good uh, qualifying, it could be a very big turn. You know, it could stir up everything. Well, that brings me to my wild take because we all know I'm just – out there on any opinions I have. So what defines if you ain't first, you're last? To me, it's the Haas team. America, built off of speed, built off of balls, built off of everything. And they've got the wild man Kevin Magnuson driving. And they're bringing back Nico Hulkenberg. That just says a whole bunch of DNFs. But at the same time, hey, I would love to see them just put it pedal to the metal, causing as many safety car accidents as possible. All I know is America. Well, fellas, this was an absolute blast. I'm looking forward to doing this more during this F1 season. It's my first season. I'm really getting involved and watching every week, and I'm just ecstatic going forward. I can't thank you fellas enough for this, and I can't thank you all you listeners at home. But for now, this has been the first episode of Fast Laps with the Boys. Kevin, hit the music. Don't forget to follow, like, and subscribe. Tune in next time for more banter with the boys.